Welcome to the Reverend Hunter Podcast. This is Tony Jones. I'm the Reverend Hunter. And I'm joined, as always, by the short round to my Indiana, Brandon. Short round to Indiana. Now we're digging back to the 80s. I like it. <laughs> you know what's funny about well, the Indiana Jones movies is I know I've seen them as a kid. Uh-huh, I have to uh-huh. be honest, I don't remember a thing about them. I know who Short Round is, but I, have, I don't remember. <laughs> well, then you do remember something about them. <laughs> I remember him because he was Data from the Goonies. Oh, gotcha. That's a, <laughs> that was a little more uh, your nerdy speed, huh? Yes, exactly. <laughs> we, uh, Courtney really was like, we got to watch the Goonies with your kids, you know? And we watched it, and it's not nearly as good as any of us remember it. I don't think they can relate to that sort of freedom that we had back in the day of being able to get on adventures and such. Also, a lot of, like, fat kid jokes and a lot of, like kind of racist jokes and yeah every you know that in the 80s and <laughs> 70s and 60s <laughs> oh yeah that's, pretty bad. it's that... pretty bad when you go back and watch a lot of 80s comedies really yeah they don't hold up i think no not really well buddy have you been to the state fair yet i know you're going this weekend for some live uh talk north podcast network recordings but have you been yet as a just as a tourist, I actually went yesterday for about two and a half hours. Um, my uh, my partner, her father's in a band, and he he played there for a few hours. What? We were there too. What band is he in? He's a uh, Jack Knife and the Sharps. So they played at the the Ramberg Senior Center. Oh, awesome! Kind of a, yeah, a rockabilly trio type thing. He's been playing for a long time. Local that band has been around for a long time. Yes, sir. Yeah, they still sound great. Okay, what'd you eat? I, I only got two things to eat, and I just had to get the classic staples. I got the curds, and I got the corn. And then uh, I, I plan on going back to record on Wednesday, so that's when I'm going to go ham and yeah. eat everything else. How about you? Have you been to the uh, state fair? Yeah, we. I was there yesterday as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's right. You just said that. Yeah. Yeah, and um, we get there real early. We got there at like 7 a.m. Or we left the No, we left the house just around 8, I guess. We were planning to get there at 7. We got there at 8 um parked on a neighbor's lawn you know as as you do Mm -hmm. and we were out of there by one man the crowds are way down i mean less than 50 percent of the norm um but you know what it still felt just as crowded everybody was just as pushy as it (laughs) (laughs) like it did start to get hot and sticky and i thought oh this is the fair i Yeah, I wore a mask whenever we were inside or whenever we were um, in any line or anything like that. But there are not many masks at the state fair. I could have counted how many masks I saw people wearing on my hand. Yeah, like it was that year. What did we eat? Let's see. Prano Pup, of course. Of course. Uh, Tom Thumb mini donuts. Never, ever Tiny Tim. Always Tom Thumb. I will make I'll make sure to remember that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh let's see what else did we eat we brought the newspaper along that had um that had the the the, the new foods rated and we tried a couple of those things one was a fried ravioli that was quite tasty and then um they start serving beer at 9 a.m at the fair so that's when we started drinking beer that makes sense um yeah there's uh there's a waffle beer, like a waffle maple syrup flavored beer we tried. And then a michelada, which is um, kind of a Bloody Mary beer mix, which Courtney has fond memories of from um, 
growing up in Texas. So yeah, we we had a bunch of different stuff. Um, trying to think if there's anything else. But Honest question: How did you feel about that beer? Because I've tried like in years past, like the mini donut beer. You know those where they tried yeah. that sugary sweet beer. How'd you feel about it? You know, I thought it was all right. I was I was pleasantly surprised. We it was in the um, it was in the hangar. Uh, at the very north end, you know, that kind of newer beer garden that they put up where the pet center used to be. Yep. So, yeah, I, I liked it. I mean, if you're going to have a beer at 9 a.m., might as well have one that tastes like a waffle with maple syrup on it. Exactly. And you know you can't have more than one generally when it comes to those type of beers. No, anyway. so I would not want to have more than one. It's safe that way. Well, this is a pretty deep dive into the State Fair for all those listeners who have no concept of the Minnesota State Fair. But if you don't, then you're really missing out. I mean, visiting Minnesota for the last uh, in in the last couple of weeks of August is always a good bet because you should visit the state fair. So. They have to know. People outside of here have to know about it. That's one of the things we talk about with our winters. It's <laughs> true, and our incredibly beautiful summers. We got to brag. Yeah, about I wouldn't. I, people could look up. Uh, man, it must be twenty years ago now that Garrison Keeler wrote a story for National Geographic magazine on the Minnesota State Fair. Uh, so yeah, it was, it, that's a good way to kind of read about it and, and understand the, the power of it. But it's a, it's about, a, I mean, it, it's a different state fair this year. There's a lot of vendors who aren't there. There's way less people because of COVID. Also, the weather hasn't been super great. Um, didn't get rain all summer and it comes all at once. <laughs> I know. How about that? <laughs> well, Hey, speaking of not getting rain, I uh I had a group of pastors from Florida and North Carolina who flew into Minneapolis a week ago to go with me to the Boundary Waters. I was going to guide them on a trip to the Boundary Waters and we had it all set up and uh then you know the day before they flew up here the Boundary Waters closed due to wildfires and drought. And so my last week, boy, it was a dramatic change of plans from what we um, had expected to do. And these guys rolled with it. I will, I will say these guys rolled with it. And my family was very generous to, to allow me to take these six pastors to our family cabin that, which you have visited. And, you know, we made the best of it. These guys fished on, Lake Mille Lacs. Uh, we got him, uh, some guides through Tony Roach, who's a super famous guide. He he helped us, hooked us up with a couple guides uh, for Mille Lacs, and the guys caught a bunch of smallmouth. And they um, they fished on our lake too. And they all these guys caught their first northern pike, uh, which was fun. And we went into Crosby and had a beer, um, and we played some poker, and we generally sat around and got to know each other, but. I'll tell you, I just think um, what we went through times, I don't know how many dozens of of parties have, you know, had permits into the Boundary Waters over these two weeks that they've been closed. But uh, it's the first time they've closed the Boundary Waters in 45 years. Since in 1976, they closed it for similar reasons. And man, it's, I don't know, it, uh, it, it worries me the number of fires west and north of us all summer and then they're encroaching uh to, you know into into Minnesota and into the boundary waters uh, there was a 
even a story in the paper that this fire started, all these fires have started by lightning strikes, but this fire started because some absentee landlord from North Carolina, some super rich family in North Carolina bought 12,000 acres of forest land in the Superior National Forest. And they didn't do any forest management of it. They, they let it go wild. I mean, to their credit, they were letting it grow wild because they, you know, they wanted it to be habitat for grouse and deer and the like, but they did no forest management. And as a result, um, this, you know, there have been whole stands of spruce that have died because of an invasive species. And somebody, somebody uh, suggested it looked like a Christmas tree farm where every tree was dead, just a ton you know, acre after acre of dead brown Christmas trees. And these things, as you might guess, Brandon, were just like a tinderbox. And this is why, uh, you know, this this Greenwood fire that's been going on up there, then it started south of the Boundary Waters and moved north into the Boundary Waters. Uh, all this to say, uh, I, I just think, I I really, really hope that that people are waking up to conservation. You know, in a, in a similar vein, I wrote an opinion piece in the Minneapolis Star Tribune that published last Friday um, about chronic wasting disease. And any listeners who care to read that can find it, you know, in any of my social media feeds um, or just go to the startribune.com and look in the opinion section till you find it. And, and, you know, the problem with CWD is similar. It's just um, kind of bureaucratic malfeasance, political apathy. Nobody will quite stand up. There, there are 276 deer farms, quote-unquote farms, in Minnesota in which deer are fenced in and they're genetically bred to have huge antlers so that wealthy quote unquote hunters can go in and shoot these animals and have a trophy mount. These are not wild deer. These are captive deer. And then, you know, it, it turns out as, as this should come as a surprise to nobody. You don't need to be a biologist to know this, but when you take a wild animal like a deer herd, and you fence them in, they tend to get sick and spread disease. And that's, you know, all of the outbreaks of CWD recently in the state of Minnesota have all been traced back to these deer farms. And so just think about the numbers, Brandon. Half a million Minnesotans hunt deer. That's that's a huge number in itself. And 276 guys have deer farms. Wow. And these 276 farmers, quote-unquote farmers, who own captive deer, they're holding hostage half a million hunters. And every time there's legislation to curb to put a moratorium on any new deer, quote-unquote, farms. Yes, I'm saying, quote-unquote, every time because these are not farms because deer are not livestock. And it's not necessary for survival. <laughs> it's for No, f- it's not. Absolutely not. I mean, the, the, yeah, so 
every time any anything comes up in the Minnesota state legislature, the 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 deer quote unquote farmers they are connected to agriculture big ag lobby. And Big Ag is a very powerful lobby in the state of Minnesota. And so because they're tied in with farmers and the ag lobby, they are able to basically beat our legislators into submission. And it's primarily Republican. So the last the last vote in the Minnesota Senate was a party line vote. All the Democrats voted for a temporary moratorium on any new deer farms in the state. And all the Republicans voted against the moratorium so that new deer farms could be open in the state. The Minnesota State Legislative Auditor three years ago came out with a report in which he said that the Bureau of Animal Health, which is the organization, the the, the state agency that oversees deer farms, was overly cozy with the industry and therefore not able to uh, you know objectively regulate that industry of deer farms quote unquote farms so it just goes on and on and meanwhile the the wild deer herd in like southwestern wisconsin is something like 50% of the deer that are shot end up testing positive for cwd and we're headed in that direction in minnesota and yet you know we lack the political will to make any changes or tell these guys, you know what? We're not going to allow deer farming in our state anymore. It's not good for the deer herd. We're sorry that you have to go find another job or find something else to farm, but you can't farm deer because deer aren't wild. White-tailed deer are not livestock. And, I would just say, Brandon, that, I mean, look, we got huge problems going on right now, obviously, in our country, and we've got an immigration crisis, and we've got a pandemic, and we're trying to extricate ourselves from a war in Afghanistan, which has cost money and, you know, $2 trillion, and now has cost, in the last week, 13 American lives. Um, So I get it. I get it that people are like, really, of all the things, you're getting worked up on forest fires and you know a, a, a disease that affects white-tailed deer. We've got uh, uh, bigger issues, but I just think as as a country, as a nation, as a society, we need. We, we must be able to multitask. We must be able to tackle multiple issues at once. Um, and so, you know, my, my, my plea to listeners is that wherever you live, you look around and you take action. And a lot of this is going to have to be political action to try to, you know, curb some of the, the worst effects of, climate change and invasive species and and things of this nature because for those of us who care about being outside uh, there's a lot that's under threat right now and i i don't think i'm being alarmist i really i really think we're we're at an inflection point and we if we don't do something man we're gonna be you know we're gonna suffer our kids are gonna suffer it's just not gonna be the same going forward
Well, and I, I, per- I don't like to be that person, but it seems ironic that uh, the group of people want to vote for Second Amendment and their hunting rights and their voting, you know, you know, all the, the, the Second Amendment, their gun rights and everything like that so they can get out and hunt wouldn't be more up to speed on what's actually causing harm and reduction in their hunting and their outdoor times. It just seems like people are voting on single single issues like guns, but they're yeah. not looking at all the other things that come into play with the guns. Like, you can't use your guns if there are no deer. You can't use your, deer, your guns to hunt if the environment's not taken care of and we don't have birds. Like, it just all seems to tie together, but it seems like one side versus the other and it doesn't make sense to me. If you're going to vote for gun rights, then why don't you vote for everything else that comes with those gun rights, like the hunting and the outdoors and stuff, the environment? Yeah, yeah. You know what? You're exactly right. And I talked to one person who's kind of in the know about these things, and he said, um, he's like, yeah, w- when it comes to CWD, all these c- conservative hunters tend to look the other way because they're like, yeah, it bums me out that my state senator voted, um, you know, voted against the deer farm moratorium, but at least he's still voting all my other issues, Second Amendment, pro-life, uh, no mask mandates, you know, whatever the pet issues are of the moment. So they won't hold their Republican legislators' feet to the fire on this issue because there's all these other issues that they align with those same Republicans on. Um, and that, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I mean, look, the, the human beings have a almost uh, infinite ability to deceive themselves and be hypocrites. Right. I mean, I, at the fair there yesterday, there was an anti-mask protest outside of of the entry where we went in and there were anti-maskers who were holding up signs that said like keep your hands off my body and my body my rights okay oh yeah so that's their argument against wearing masks politically speaking these are a lot of the same people who are pro-life like those signs could be held up by pro-choice people my body, my rights, you know, keep your hands off my body. Uh, uh, It's my decision whether I'm going to have a baby or have an abortion. So (laughs) people are like, don't even see the irony or hypocrisy in their own positions. And it's the same on the left. Like, the, the, the I was going to point that out too. To be fair, I'm an equal opportunity offender. I don't I don't affiliate with the political party. Yeah, yeah, no, same. I mean, it's the same on the left. Like a lot of people on the left who argue those like same like I, I should have um, freedom of my own medical decisions when it comes to abortion. Uh, they're the ones saying we should have mask mandates in schools or shopping malls or at the airport or whatever. And I get it. I mean, there's always the next layer of the argument, which is like wearing a mask isn't just about your own personal rights. It's about protecting everybody else. Um, But I'm just saying all of us, all it it is endemic to the human condition that we, we are uh we we seem to have an an infinite ability to deceive ourselves to be hypocrites to not see you know the the hypocrisy of our own statements and our own actions because we get caught up in the heat of the moment so you know i'm all i'm saying is i think 
each of us needs to in in spite of the fact that you know like i my state senator i agree with her on most things she is not much of an advocate for the outdoors. She doesn't really, she's not an outdoors person. She doesn't really care about issues. I've I've never really seen her take a stand on anything like CWD or invasive species and species in waterways or anything like that. So, um, I have been to her office a few times with backcountry hunters and anglers just to get like the, the protection of public lands for hunting and fishing on her radar. And I write her and remind her that CWD is a big issue for some people in her, in her constituency. So I just think that's at least that's like the minimum step we need to make is to keep communicating with the people who are setting the policies that affect, you know, the, the way that the rest of us live our lives. So that's where I'm at, Brandon. It's kind of a it's kind of a diatribe fifth Monday episode. I do think that we are, like I say, at some kind of an inflection point. And I, you know, I think we've got to it, it's it's interesting the number of conversations I had in the last week where people thought, um, God, I really thought the pandemic was gonna bring together left and right, and it turned out not to. You know, like people kind of look back on 9-11. 20 years ago uh, and think that was the last time we really all came together and we didn't immediately politicize uh, a a big tragedy. Um, You know, even, even Afghanistan was the, the extrication of our people from Afghanistan immediately became a, a political issue. And it's going to be the next Benghazi. Now it's going to be for the next two to four years we're going to be in hearings about it. And it's going to just be highly, highly politicized um, for a war that most Americans think we never should have gotten in, in the first place. Yeah. It's so, it's, it's, but, and it's funny though, because not funny. I mean, these situations, just like we're talking about with everything, everybody's a hypocrite because, one side really wanted out a year ago and was having secret wanted to have secret meetings with the other side and that was fine <laughs> but then when the other guy does stuff yeah. like that it's not fine or like you know we're just all hypocrites people who have vaccines are anti-vaccine <laughs> vaccine right now <laughs> they, right yeah 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 that's right we <laughs> we're we're each hypocrites in our own way so I think it's key. I mean, it. I'll tell you this: it's key to the Christian tradition that you look look at yourself and you perform self examination on a regular basis. It's it's like baked in the cake of of Ignatian spirituality, for instance, that you're constantly in a process of self examination, and that's how you're able to, I don't know, curb your own natural inborn hypocrisy by examining yourself and your beliefs and your statements. Um, So I'm trying to do that right now. And uh, heading into the fall, I'm actually starting work at a church for the first time. Boy, Brandon, I'm going to be a pastor on the staff of a church for the first time since 2003. Wow. How are the nerves for that? (laughs) Jeez. I mean, I'm looking forward to part of it. It's only 15 hours a week, so I'm just... I'm just putting my, you know, toe in the shallow end of the pool to start. I'm not going to rush into anything here, but it's a great group of people. I'm excited about it. And but it also, you know, being in that uh, it's cliché kind of, but to be in that position of spiritual authority, 
where people look at you as a pastor who has some kind of access to some kind of truth, it does give me pause, uh, take a bit of a deep breath and think to myself, um, I, I want to do this right. I want to do right by these people who, who are bringing me into their community and asking me to teach classes and preach sermons. And, um, you know, I, I want to do right by them. So it, it's causing me a little bit of a moment. Um, and I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. So that's where we're at going into the fall. Plus of course, all sorts of hunting. I mean, next starting next Saturday, September 4th. Um, and here in Minnesota, we can start shooting, teal and Canada geese. So the hunting season is upon us and I'm sure we'll be talking about that in the days to come on the, on the Reverend Hunter podcast. Uh, we were going to have some great guests lined up for this fall and Brandon, I just want to say, I continue to appreciate your partnership in this. I couldn't do it without you. And I just think you're doing an absolutely fantastic job uh, and you're the hardest working man in podcasts. Well, I appreciate that, Tony, and it's been a blast working with you. So I continue to look forward to doing it because uh, it's it's one of those it's one of the the shows where again I do so many shows uh, it's ridiculous yeah. at this point. Yeah, but it's one of the shows I, I look forward to doing because I do enjoy the conversation. I do enjoy the time that we get to spend just chatting, even if it's for a few minutes. So it's been a pleasure yeah. working with you, Tony. So keep I'm looking. It's good stuff. Yeah, it's good stuff. Well, thanks everybody for listening to my rantings <laughs> and, on our. Uh, occasional fifth Monday episode. And we look forward to, you know, your, your continued support. I, if you didn't get a chance to listen to the last couple episodes with Meredith Lee, uh, who's a, a professional butcher and, and farmer and livestock rate razor, that one was awesome. As was the interview with John McClain, the son of the author of a river runs through it. Um, I've gotten a lot of great, positive feedback about both those episodes. So uh, you might want to go back and listen to them if you haven't yet. And then, of course, we'll be coming at you every other Monday with a new episode of the Reverend Hunter podcast. We would love for you to support us through uh, rating, reviewing, sharing, all those kind of things that help get a podcast into people's feeds who might uh, might similarly benefit from the podcast so until next time for brandon and me the reverend hunter thanks for listening have a great week 